Hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church. Just want to give a big shout out to all of you who are listening today, thanking you for your support of this broadcast, thanking you for tuning in every day, uh, Monday through Friday, to Hope for Your Heart. And I really hope and pray that this broadcast is an inspiration to you. I hope that it encourages you. I hope that it inspires you. And uh, once in a while, I pray that it will convict you. You know, as you study God's Word, it's not all good news. Uh, It's mixed with some bad news, and the bad news is to point us to the good news of the Savior. And so today I want to talk to you about this matter of how to pray for your family, how to pray for your family. But before we do, I was doing a little bit of studying today, and I sent out a weekly email to my church congregation. And uh, this week we were looking at Proverbs chapter 20, and I gave uh, our congregation a challenge to read one proverb a day. Well, today happens to be the 20th of the month. Proverbs chapter 20, verse number one says, Wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. You know, here in the United States, one in eight Americans, that's 12.7% of our population, now battle with alcohol. And they would meet a criteria for the alcoholic use disorder. You know, the younger one starts to drink alcohol, the more likely they are to become problem drinkers. Stunningly, nearly one in four adults ages 30 and under meet this criteria. So we have more alcoholics under the age of 30 than we do over the age of 30 when we think about the percentage of that age group. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention estimates that 88,000 people die every year of alcohol-related causes whether that be their body falling apart because of the poison that is brought into their system. Uh, Like what one pastor said, drinking is like embalming fluid. Uh, The more you drink it, the quicker it'll kill you. And so I want to talk to you just briefly about what the Bible says about the use of wine. I find that word wine is used 240 times in the New International Version of the Bible. Now, here's my takeaway on, on this subject. The Bible doesn't prohibit the use of wine but it has an awful lot of warnings about its abuse and a lot of suggestions of how we should avoid it so that we don't get addicted to it. Here are just five out of the 240 verses on the subject of alcohol or wine. The first verse is found in Proverbs 20, verse number one. I just read that verse to you a minute ago, and it says, wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. So wine or any other substance abuse can easily lead us astray. You know, nearly 10,000 people are killed annually on the highways in the United States. 10,000 people that are killed because of an alcoholic-related accident. You know, thousands of more suffer from injuries due to intoxicated drivers. Close to 70% of all alcohol-related violent acts occur in the home and occur because of some kind of substance being abused. There's an estimated 1.4 million incidents of alcohol-related violence that is committed against strangers each year. So if we can eliminate the abuse of alcohol, the abuse of, of drugs, we will also see a great reduction in crime. So wine or any other substance can be abused easily and can easily lead us astray. Here's the second thing I found out what the Bible says about wine. Proverbs 14, 21. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby my brother will stumble or is offended 
or is made weak. So here's what I take from this verse. When you think about deciding not to eat meat or not to drink wine, it's really not about me. If drinking causes my brother or my sister to stumble, I give up my freedom to keep them from stumbling. Uh, this is such an important point. Uh, so many times we, we think, I've got my freedoms and I've got my rights and I can live any way that I want. Well, I want you to know that no man is an island unto himself. We have brothers or sisters that are looking to us and depending upon us and looking to us for support and looking for us to overcome the struggles that they are living in. You know, especially those who are listening to today who consider yourself spiritually mature. You know, a spiritually mature person is one who is like Christ and one who has been set free from the consequences of sin and the enslavement of sin. And they are set free, not so that they can just enjoy freedom for the sake of enjoying freedom. They are set free so they can be freed up to serve somebody else. I think that's what Paul is trying to tell us in Romans chapter 14. He's telling us that if drinking wine offends my brother, causes my brother to stumble, then I'm not going to do it. So we learned so far today that wine or any other substance can be used to easily lead us astray. Secondly, we discovered when we're discussing this matter or deciding about this matter, we must realize it's not about me. If drinking causes my brother to stumble, I won't drink. Number three, ask yourself this question. Is alcohol controlling me? Now, if it is, you may not be saved. Now, I'm taking this from God's word. This is not my personal opinion. This is what the apostle Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who have not been declared righteous, those who are living unrighteously, are not born again. Paul says, don't be deceived. And he gives the categories of those who are living a life of unrighteousness. He says, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor the abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor those covetous, nor drunkards, and there it is right there, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortionists shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if you read the rest of this chapter, Paul says, and such were some of you. In other words, we used to live that way, but then we got saved. And then God took from us these things. Now, that's not to say that we never slip and we never fall and we never make a mistake in going back and picking up these sins. But if you never have been given victory over alcohol, it could be that you'd never been born again. Listen, we are told when we think about this matter of living the sanctified holy life that we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you today. If alcohol is controlling you, maybe as you're listening to this broadcast today, you may even be a functioning alcoholic. A functioning alcoholic is the person who can go to work every day, provides for his family, but he can't go a day without a drink. He functions pretty well, but his life is slowly becoming unraveled. His life is slowly becoming undone. You know the guy who founded Celebrate Recovery, a ministry we have at our church, Mr. Baker, he has he recently passed away and, and he's up there in heaven, uh, but he was what many would consider a functioning alcoholic. He was serving as a deacon within a church, and then one day he got caught. He got caught in a drunken state, and he says, I'm going to go tell the pastor. And he went to the pastor, and he gave up his position as deacon. But he didn't give up his attendance to the church. He continued to go to church, and God redeemed him, and God gave him the victory over alcohol. 
And so he wrote down how he got that victory using some of the steps of AA and then putting biblical principles with those steps and looking at the Sermon of the Mount and came up with eight great principles of how he overcame those hurts, those habits, and those hangups. And I want you to know, if he did it for John Baker, he can do it for you too. He can set you free. Well, I want you to know we've learned so far today about this matter of alcohol, that if you are a person that is drinking, you're easily led astray. Number two, uh, if you're a selfish person, you're going to look at your right to drink as it's all about me. And really, it's not about me. It's about Christ, and it's about helping my brother in Christ. If you look at alcohol and it's controlling you, maybe, just maybe you're not saved, according to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10. And then number four, substance abuse leads to dishonesty. That is, it, it actually traps us in our sin. Paul put it this way in Romans 13, 13. He said, let us walk honestly as in the day, not rioting. In my Bible there, in parentheses, it says, not drunken partying, not in drunkenness, not in general drunkenness. And so those are notes that were added into the end of that verse. But as we're looking at this, when we are living and surrendering ourselves to alcohol, it leads to dishonesty. It leads to us not walking honorably or not walking with integrity. So I want to encourage you today, when you look at this matter of living a life of integrity, if you have struggles with alcohol or any other substance that is addictive to you, if you have that struggle, you will struggle also with a matter of honesty. Number five, who do you want to control you? That is an unbelievably important question. Who do you want to control you? Ephesians 5.18 tells us, Do not be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, this verse is talking about the effects of how when we're filled with wine, it controls us. But when we're filled by the Spirit, the Spirit controls us. So don't be drunk with wine but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that little phrase, be filled with the Holy Spirit, is actually an emphatic word or a statement saying that it's a continuous, ongoing process. In other words, I've got to constantly surrender to the filling of the Spirit because as I go through life, it's not that the Spirit departs from me, but I become disobedient. It's like the guy who's drunk. With time, the drunkenness wears off and he has to drink again. With the Spirit, we have to be constantly filled with the Spirit. Now, many people are blind to the fact that one drink often leads to another. People justify the use of alcohol, claiming that they have perfect self-control. But often, social drinking becomes habit-forming, particularly when you are faced with anxiety and with disappointment and difficult times. Reaching for a drink tricks people into thinking that they can forget about their problems but reality comes storming back in. So those are five little lessons that I've learned from God's Word about alcohol. Now, the Bible has a whole lot more to say about it. I kind of just put that out as a teaser today, uh, because now I want to get into the subject of how do I pray for my family? Now, it was Leo Tolstoy who said, you know, everyone thinks of changing the world, but nobody thinks of changing themselves. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, you can look at somebody, whether it be a family member or a church member or a coworker or a neighbor, and you can kind of size them up pretty quick. And you can say, I know exactly what they need to do. I know exactly where they are missing the mark. 
but it seems like we have a harder time changing ourselves. In his most famous work in his novel, War and Peace, Tolstoy was converted to Christianity after reading the Sermon on the Mount, and he believed that the world would change not by the government, but by individuals taking personal responsibility and thinking like Christ. Now, that's the key. Thinking like Christ. I want to read to you Philippians 1, verses 3 to 10 in the New Living Translation. Paul is writing this from a Roman prison. He says, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for you all with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God who began to work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about you. For you have a very special place in my heart. Don't you love that? Paul says, you've got a special place in my heart. That's something you ought to say to your wife, right? Say, honey, you got a special place in my heart. He says that you share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth about the good news. God knows how much I love you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. He says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and in understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day that Christ returns. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and much praise to God. Well, I love that passage, don't you? What an encouraging portion of Scripture. So as we look at this Scripture, I want to extrapolate some things from this passage that will help us to be able to pray for our families. Dr. Herbert Lockler, who wrote all the prayers in the Bible, fascinating book. I've got it sitting on my bookshelf at my office at the church. You know, in this book, he counts 650 prayers in the Bible, and he discovers 400 of them are given recorded answers. Now, this is amazing when you think about it. So before we get to our list of how we pray for our family, I want to encourage you to, to pray the high priestly prayer over your family. I've got a dear friend, and every time he, he uh, sends me an email or a note, he always signs his name on the bottom, and he puts number six, verses 22 to 24. Now, if you don't know what that verse says, it is actually a prayer that Moses instructs the high priest to pray over the priests. It goes like this. Tell Aaron and his sons to bless the people of Israel with this special blessing. And here it is. And you can pray this over your family. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord protect you. May the Lord smile on you and may he be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Whenever Aaron and his sons bless the people of Israel in my name, I myself will bless them. Now, dads who are listening to me today, I want you to know that you are considered the high priest of your family. And whenever you bless your family, God says, I will bless them too. You are invoking the blessings of God upon your family when you bless them. So bless your children, bless your wife, bless your extended family. And by doing so, God is also going to be blessing them. Well, here's how you can pray for your family. Number one, pray with affection. Paul put it this way in verse number nine of Philippians 1. 
He says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound, that is, may, may grow to overflow, may abound more and more. So growing in love. You know, it's an amazing thing when you pray for somebody with affection. When you really love somebody and you're praying these prayers over them, that love actually begins to overflow. You see, affection and growing means I'm going to be affectionate in the loving thoughts that I have of them. Paul said in verse number three, every time I think of you, it was a thought of affection. He says, every time I think of you, I've got good thoughts about you. You see, a heart without love can never really pray or praise effectively. Paul could pray effectively because he really loved deeply. It's really hard to pray for somebody with affection when you don't really love them. You know, Paul's thoughts were positive when he thought of Philippians. It's impossible to pray for God's positive direction when you've got a negative and a critical spirit. You see, a negative spirit influences your prayer life. Philippians 1.10 says that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. So in this same chapter where Paul is talking about praying with love and affection, he's saying make sure that you pray without an offense on your heart. You know, we all know that prayer can change our attitude, but our attitude can also change the way that we pray, for good or for bad. You see, if your thoughts are critical, your prayers are going to be confused. If your thoughts are clean, your prayers are going to be clear. So watch your thoughts. They become your words. Watch your words. They become your actions. Watch your actions. They become your habits. Watch your habits. They become your character. Watch your character. It becomes your destiny. So when it comes to this matter of praying with affection, we must have our thoughts captured, and we must capture them and make them obedient to Christ. You know, a number of years ago, David Fink, a psychiatrist for the Veterans Administration, wrote an article in the Cornette magazine. The title of that article is Release from Nervous Tension. In his article, he outlined his research into the causes of mental and emotional disturbances. He had over 10,000 case studies. And in these studies, he discovered that there was a common trait with all of his patients who suffered from severe tension. They all were habitual fault finders, constant critics of people and things around them. Those who were free from the tension were the least critical. So his conclusions were that the habit of fault finding is a prelude or a mark of the nervous or the mentally unbalanced. You see, Paul was consistent in his thoughts of love toward his brothers and his sisters in Christ. Because of this, when hard times came, he was steady. You know, those who wish to retain a good emotional health and a good mental health should learn to free themselves from the negative and the critical attitude. You see, if you have a negative and a critical attitude, it keeps coming back. No matter how you try to push it down, it keeps coming back. So remember this. The Bible doesn't promise peace to those who dwell on the faults of others. It says this, Isaiah 26, 3. It says that the Lord will keep them in perfect peace whose minds are stayed on him. In other words, those who are focused on Christ have the ability to be at peace. It's not focusing on the faults of others that brings about peace. It's focusing on Christ. 
the mind stayed on Christ cannot be stayed on criticism. Paul talks about this affection growing with loving thoughts, but he also talks about it growing with thanksgiving. He says, I give thanks to my God, verse number three of Philippians 1. And he says, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, Ephesians 1.16. And then he says in Philippians 4.6, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, petition, and with thanksgiving, present your request to the Lord. You know, the mind that is consumed with gratitude cannot be consumed with griping. A gratitude mind, a mind filled with thanksgiving, just pushes out those negative thoughts. So we've learned so far in praying for our family, number one, we should pray for affection. Number two, we should pray for direction. That is a a deepening insight. Paul says, I pray that you will keep on growing in knowledge and in understanding. You know, I read a story just recently about a woman And she followed her GPS, and she drove over 900 miles off course. Now, if you have experience using your GPS in your car, you know sometimes it can take you miles off course. It doesn't know where you can turn around, and so it keeps sending you in a direction that is so far off course, you can drive miles off course. Well, in January of 2013... Sabine, who was a 67-year-old Belgian woman, was driving to pick up a friend in Brussels, about 90 miles from her home. But based on the faulty direction she got from her GPS, she drove all the way to Croatia, nearly a 1,000 miles away. The journey took the woman across five international borders. She stopped several times to get gas and to take naps, but she kept pressing onward until she hit the capital of Croatia. After a few days, her son got worried and called the police, who located her by following her bank statements. She told the Belgian reporter, I was distracted, so I kept going. I saw all kinds of signs, first in French and then in German and finally in Croatian, uh, but I continued driving because I was distracted. I told myself I should turn around, but I was so distracted I kept on driving. I don't know about you, we need direction in our lives. You know, if you don't know where you're going, said Cheshire the Cat in Alice in Wonderland, if you don't know where where you're going, any road will get you there. But if you want direction and understanding, you should pray. You see, direction involves growing in God's principles. The principle of God's Word will give us direction. Knowledge of God's promises. In Ephesians 1.18, it says, I pray that your heart may be flooded with light. Flooded with direction, we could say, so that you can understand and you can have that confident hope that is given to those who are called his holy people. You see, knowledge of God and his ways. You ought to pray that for your family. You ought to pray that for yourself. You see, God gives us light so that we can see what to do, not just to give us a head full of information. He wants to guide us by the light that he gives us. We also should be growing in the power of God's word. Paul says to the Ephesian believers, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. It is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Oh, my friends, can I tell you that God's power is always displayed through our lives of graciousness? It is displayed through his power, through his principles. 
As we look at the high priestly prayer again, number 625, may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Well, we talked about praying for affection, direction, and now let's talk about praying for protection. Philippians 1.10, and may you be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with that righteousness, that fruit of righteousness. Now, I want you to know that God wants to protect us from the evil one. I mean, that's part of the prayer that, that Jesus offered up as the model prayer and delivers from evil, right? In order for that to happen, we must be growing in purity. We must be more like Christ. You know, the more of God's purity you have in you, the more of his protection is on you. A pure person is protected by God. We also should be growing in peace, growing more like Christ as we surrender to Him. As we pray for our families, you should pray, lastly, that we will be dedicating them to the Lord. You know, this dedication, glorifying God, that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Growing in external praise, growing in internal praise. Number 627 so that they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Praising the Lord, asking the Lord to take first place in our lives is the way to get His direction. Thank you so much for listening today. God bless you. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.